Let's take a quick break and hear from today's show sponsor. Are you struggling to close deals? Cold outreach can be a slow and brutal process. And in many scenarios, it's just wasting the time of both the buyer and the seller, especially when business owners who are trying to find qualified buyers are using inaccurate and outdated data. But it doesn't have to be this way. With LinkedIn Sales Navigator, your organization can overcome these challenges by leveraging this amazing technology and platform that translates comprehensive, high-quality buyer data into real-time insights and sales. These deeper insights empower sales reps and teams to adopt the habits of top performers, which leads to much better outcomes like build and bigger pipeline with real customers leading to higher win rates and conversions, and of course, larger deals and paydays all around. We call this deep sales and LinkedIn has built the first deep sales platform with the next generation of LinkedIn sales navigator. Right now, our Millionaire Mindcast family has an amazing opportunity to try LinkedIn sales navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com forward slash mindcast. That's linkedin.com forward slash mindcast for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com forward slash mindcast and get started. majority of everything is pointing towards that we have an easing of inflation coming. Even if we're going to have these little bumps, it's not going to be a smooth curve all the way down. It can be a bumpy ride down, just like it was a bumpy ride up. But it is still pointing towards that we have interest rate easing coming and likely interest rate cuts. I'm still going to stay in that camp, which is a small one right now, but those are the general camps that win cuts towards the end of the year. I don't know if it's going to be two to three cuts, but I'll say at least two right now is on my radar. What's going on, guys? Welcome into today's episode of Money Moves, where we cover all things stocks, real estate, investing, and personal finance to help you on your march to a million and beyond. As always, $1 million. I am your host, Matty A., my co-host, Mr. Breedwell. How we doing, brother? I'm doing good, man. Happy post-Easter holiday weekend. That's normally a hard one to survive with the family. Yeah, my kids, they act like it's freaking Christmas. Like it's just an they like basket. are so excited to go to bed and wake up early and see what's in the eggs. And we had a good, good family day. The weather's turning nice yeah, out really here nice. in Cali. So we got a little pool day, a little swimming in, a little pasta, a little vino. It was, mm. it's a good, Never last hurts. week was good. I was out in Napa. Oh Yeah. Got to host some friends one time out that at Matt, Matt was out in Napa and I was not. I know. Well, you were there the a I was few there days the, prior. The, the weekend before. So yeah. So welcome in. If you are new to the show, be sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss another episode. If you enjoy what we talk about here to keep you updated and informed on all things money, what's going on, things that impact your money. Uh, if you enjoy the show, all we ask is that you take two seconds to head over to iTunes, leave a review. And of course, don't forget to take advantage of all the amazing stuff that we have available for our Millionaire Mindcast community. A lot of that is updated now at millionairemindcast.com. So you guys can go over and check out the store, check out the blogs, check out the episodes, all the cool stuff that we have there. As well as don't forget to take advantage of your free financial x-ray that Ryan and his amazing team do each and every week for many of you mm -hmm. who call in, text in. And by texting the word x-ray to 844-447-1555, what do they get, brother? We'll essentially just go through your current portfolio, do a comparison on what you're currently doing, what we might think we can do to improve that. 
what we would do to improve that and the outcome that that would likely look the outcome that might look like the outcome that would likely present and the percentage likelihood of success uh, that can be investment accounts. It can be old 401ks. It can be IRAs, Roth IRAs, uh, old pensions, life insurance, all that stuff. We, we go through it all. All kinds of great stuff. So feel free to take advantage of that. Of course, for my accredited investors, individuals who want to look at passive income opportunities and investments, if you're not on my deals list and you want to get access to that to no be notified of when I put out syndication opportunities, we did the Green Coffee Company, mm -hmm. we did the Houston Apartments, we've done laundromats, we've done all kinds of great offerings. So um, feel free to get on that deals list to get notified by texting the word DEALS 844-447-1555 as well. That being said, we got a lot to cover, a lot to catch mm -hmm. up on, a lot of data coming out and some potentially concerning data points. Also some positive stuff that's going on. We've got there. the commercial real estate industry and products and loans and assets as a whole are starting to potentially see some cracks and big concern that people have is, is there a commercial real estate blow off top? coming. We'll be talking about that. Of course, I think big topic of discussion has been the Fed now, the central banking, digital currency, people mm -hmm. concerned about their privacy, one centralized control over currency. So we're going to talk about that and get Mr. Breedwell's take. Unemployment data came out this last week. We got CPI numbers coming out tomorrow, Federal Open Markets Committee coming out tomorrow. We got a, a lot of what good stuff to dig in with you guys on so with that being said, Mr. Breedwell, what are we seeing in the stock market and what are you guys paying attention to right now? Well, we are um, market closed today on Monday, excuse me, Tuesday. Um, we were seeing essentially a, it looked like a rotation out of uh, higher beta assets like tech stocks, things that were been pushing the market up actually the beginning of this year and even through last year and the year prior in a kind of a fixating on going more towards um, securities and assets and companies that have better balance sheets, higher yield, lower risk. And we're seeing a huge influx as well into money market funds. I mean, we have um, our clients going into a money market fund paying somewhere between four and a half to 5% currently, which that rate changes based on um, interest rate and the interest rate environment. But a lot of just most of the people are going into funds that are based on commercial paper and treasury notes right now. Um, we did see a small pullback in the two-year yield. I didn't check where it was today, but we did see yields um, and bonds not rally, but they kind of actually did the opposite today. And we're looking for bonds to rally and yields to go down on the front end of the curve, that short-end debt, and continue to raise on the back end of the curve, which is high-end debt. So I'm still keeping an eye on the spread between the 10 and the 30-year. And we're starting to be around, it looks like on the uh, five-year, we're at about 3.5. 10-year, we're at about 3.4. 30-year, we're at about 3.6. We kind of want to see that 3.4, 3.5, 3.6. If it was in that order, that'd be much better. That's a healthier yield curve with a uh, sub 3.4, 3. probably two, uh, two-year yield if the rates were currently that high. And that would give us a smooth, nice yield curve, which would ease up on some people because we still have an inverted yield curve on the front end. Um, not everything was on fire today, though. And I'm speaking for us on Tuesday. Uh, we saw some profit taking into the end of the day, but mostly in tech stocks. And so that's where you can notice the Dow was actually up almost a third of a percent, while the NASDAQ was down almost a half a percent and the S&P 500 ended flat, essentially down 0.17. 
um, on value, but not percentage down 0%. So that tells me there's just a rotation out of uh, technology. And if I go look at the heat map, we see utilities doing good. We see consumer defensive doing good. We see um, financial is actually doing pretty well. Uh, we picked up a lot of Citigroup. I told people we were buying Schwab. Uh, we are still buying Schwab. Make sure you check with your advisor before you act on any financial advice or things you hear on there. But you just got to take an opportunity to say, is Charles Schwab or is this bank or is this financial institution actually going to be affected by this, this quote unquote banking crisis, which I, again, not being talked about a lot anymore. People are still kind of saying it's still, you know, there's still a crisis going on. Absolutely not. It's just a bunch of BS like it was from the beginning. Um, so my, my opinion is we're starting to see risk assets, but certain risk assets, which is weird. We saw a sell-off in technology and we're seeing people dump money into crypto, which I think I was telling you, I think is being buoyed by this banking crisis uh, item. Um, Definitely fits the narrative for you know these, getting some money certain, flowing back into yeah. the crypto space. Yeah, um, but overall, S and P's up about seven percent year to date um, through through the quarter. It's it's been a great time. This is why you're a long term investor and you don't try to time the market as a retail investor. Normally, we just want to stay invested, dollar cost average into quality assets and continue to buy those assets long term. Get paid the yield position ourselves a little bit differently when the market acts like it is right now. Um, but I think a lot of people are making the mistake like um, reading headline news and like piling into gold, you know, gold being at its highest level since I think 2016, 2018. Um, that to me is it's overbought and it's probably going to have a pretty good pullback. We had some pullback going on at the beginning of this week and the end of last week, but um, seeing another little pop in that with the um, data we were just talking about uh, unemployment came in, Lower than expected. Yep. Which uh, is not helping the Fed. No, that was the negative on the day. But we had non-farm and private payrolls come in very cool. Um, and so that really helped buoy the market and drive some sort of sentiment towards, okay, inflation could be uh, easing. Now, as I showed you before we started the show, we, we would, we'll call it a 60% chance approximately mm -hmm. of a quarter percent hike right now. And this changes day to day and about a 40% chance of a pause. And if we look at the one week average and the one month average, uh, the farther you go out, the more it leans towards a pause and the closer you come in, excuse me, a, uh, a, a not a pause, the farther you go out, the more it leans towards raising rates and the farther you come in, like on the one week average, the farther it leans towards pausing. The overall sentiment right now based on Fed's futures is leaning towards a rate hike of a quarter of a percent and not pausing. Um, tomorrow and Thursday, we have CPI tomorrow plus FOMC minutes. And then we have on um, Thursday, we have the PPI as well as I believe we have crude oil inventories, which is going to be important also because that's a driver of inflation. So big week again. Um, seems like it's big week after big week after big week. CarMax reported earnings today. They beat estimates on, I think, earnings per share around $50, 50 cents per share versus 20 something, some odd cents expected. So that's a good sign um, in a cyclical area of the market. Again, not a technology company, used car company. So you're going to have to find value in different areas versus just closing your eyes and buying the Qs or buying a Vanguard technology fund or iShares technology fund or whatever you put your money in. We're trying to stay away from not 
mega cap or large cap tech names, stuff that can afford to pay dividends, stuff that has quality balance sheets. We're trying to stay away from that actually right now. So um, I think it's still a good time. I'm going to ride the dead horse um, to put money into the market, but consistently. I normally don't put huge chunks in at once unless it's a necessity, but consistently putting money in. Um, we're starting to make money and people are starting to recover from this these past 15 to 18 months. Yeah, the, so Wednesday's consumer price index, obviously, you know, the most important monthly inflation yeah. report and oftentimes more important than the jobs report, but obviously yeah, with the most important. With unemployment jobs reports coming out, you know, there's no Chicago Fed President Austin Goolsby, he basically just said, like, we need to be cautious about raising rates and that raising rates more. A pause. We should gather further data and be careful about raising rates too aggressively until we see how much work the headwinds are doing for us and getting that inflation data, right? As you yep. said, a little bit further out, you know, it's, okay, we're probably going to raise. As we get a little bit closer and more data starts rolling in, we're starting to see that some of the headwinds are actually fighting inflation as they hoped it would. Well, yeah, and we actually saw today European stocks and countries rally on the back of um, hopes that inflation is, cuts to rates are actually coming. I think the um, the Italian index, I forget what it's called. I think it's called the FCE 9 or something like that. But they're essentially, their S&P 500 for Italy hit its all-time high ever today. Um, transition over to France, which has been having some turmoil with their pension um, age being raised from 60 to 62, which honestly, get over yourselves. You got to work for two more years. I mean, people are just living longer. It's very reasonable, but their economies get going up. And then you have China. They reported their CPI data was down to 0.7. That's the third report in a row. Again, take that out with a grain of salt. But the third report in a row that they're putting out showing inflation easing there as well on the backs of reopening uh, the market to international trade. So everything, the majority of things, the majority of everything is pointing towards that we have an easing of inflation coming. Even if we're going to have these little bumps, it's not going to be a smooth curve all the way down. It can be a bumpy ride down, just like it was a bumpy ride up. Um, but it is still pointing towards that we have interest rate easing coming coming coming. And likely interest rate cuts, I'm still going to stay in that camp, which is a small one right now, but those are the general camps that win. Um, cuts towards the end of the year. I don't know if it's going to be two to three cuts, but I'll say at least two right now is on my radar. We're talking end, end, end of the year, December, October, November meetings. Um, but I, there's just, there's a lot of data that's leading towards that. And I think it'll be a lot more clear when we get this inflation data. Because remember, the inflation data is still backward looking, but we're backward looking now into 2023. Mm -hmm. And that's when things are starting to kind of catch up to each other. We're on a one-year chain look back, not a two-year chain look back now. So we get to take out some of the older data that was going to bog down some of the numbers. So it's not perfect, but it's it's going to be better than it has been. So I'm still buying equities. I'm not... There's no chance in my eyes, like 0% of a recession. We're tracking for a 2% two to 2.1% positive GDP for quarter one. It's just not in the cards. Um, and again, if you're hearing it on 
mainstream news or a Twitter account or somebody posting a video on Instagram or... Generally, it's a lot of the big it, fund managers, right? Who generally have some yeah, but they stake pay, that they, they want. every week. Right. So there is the selling of the We bag. saw that with Pershing Capital. You know, what's his name coming out and saying the economy Ackman. was... Bill Ackman coming out and saying that the economy was going to fall off a cliff all while having a massive short position... So he profited completely on that and then bought back in long. So that's just, you got to be real careful about, um, you know, the market is manipulated. You know, it is by big firms and, and dark pool trading that we talked about years ago and, and things that are out of our control. So instead of, you know, bitching and moaning about the rules that you can't affect, learn how to play them effectively and master them like we have. And you can apply that and long term still be very successful. It's not super hard to do. You know, I want to drive, I, I wish the freeway was had an Autobahn. You know, I would love to drive my car real fast for long, long distances. I think that'd be great, but there's rules and regulations, but I know places on the freeway I can drive a little faster. You know, I just bend it where you can. Be smart where you can. Take advantage of things where you can because I don't make the rules. You don't make the rules. Matt doesn't make the rules. Things are going to happen systemically outside of our control. We can, we can know the rules, though, and play them very well and master them. And we see that, you know, that's a great thing to watch. That's why sports is so awesome. So you talked about the pop in Bitcoin and crypto as of late. Obviously, a big piece of that was and fueled by... Huge well, on well, the back. Me, yeah, so it's going to be definitely off the back of what happened with the banks and people being concerned about that. Now you're hearing... I would say it's more to the other. Which would be what... Uh, interest rate cuts coming and easing on uh, raising of interest rates. Okay. That is more so fueling, in my opinion, look at the rise starting in March and then look at the past couple of days, way more in the past couple of days than we had in March. Well, there's also been another topic of discussion that's getting a lot more attention, which is the U.S. federal government you know, has begun the implementation and exploration of the Centralized Digital Currency Project, the CBDC. Yeah, the Fed Now is coming out in July. Fed Now, which we'll talk a little bit more about that, which is ultimately to bring about a, you know, if if you're asking people on the right who are very concerned about it and are saying it's an overreach of government right to bring about a cashless society where every transaction that we make as citizens is tracked, monitored, controlled. How are kids going to use that? Thus undermining our autonomy and our freedom as individuals, right? And so many people on the right are saying to protect our freedom, we must all stand together in rejecting this effort to institute a digital cashless society, which ultimately a big, you know, thread of the crypto community is they don't want government Mm-hmm. overseeing, controlling, and ultimately, you know, running the world with the thumb of currency, you know, or their thumb on top of currency, right? Yep. And so as we're starting to see more of this get rolled out, how does that impact one, the stock market? And then two, how does that kind of tie into what maybe we're seeing in crypto in some capacities? So I think that we definitely have to be cognizant of understanding that, how do I say this? The federal government doesn't like crypto, okay? So we can just go ahead and get that out there. Um, 
but they're trying to figure a tactful way to go about not liking it, but not looking like the bad guy, not being the bad cop. I don't think having a central banking digital currency is a bad thing just to have it as a product available for use. Uh, Fed now, if you want to put it under that. But I don't think it should push cash or some sort of physical currency out of the monetary system. Because I agree, we, we, you know, we don't live in a society where we want all of our transactions tracked. And all that's going to do is it's going to create more data to be mined and sold and manipulated. And um, it opens the doors for, um, you know, you go deeper into the AI stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, having things influenced because we're known so well as a consumer, as a person from a data standpoint. And I was actually just at the mall this weekend and I was uh, with my wife and I was watching, you know, looking around at all the kids out on spring break and they're shopping. And what are they shopping with? Cash. I remember shopping in high school and middle school. I used cash. That's, it's, a, it's a tokenized way to learn how to use money. Mm-hmm. I physically see it. I physically see it going away. I understand how that goes now. I understand to save it's a really good tool to have a physical form of currency because I think it is a way that you can teach or implement some sort of um, idea on how money works or the value of said dollar. So um, I would love the central banking digital currency for settlement in like transfers or wires or big, yeah, I mean, there's pros there's and the, cons yeah, to it, right? The con yeah. is making it required. Yeah. I mean, kind of was looking at a list of pros and cons. It was, you know, pros arguments can be made faster, more efficient payments. Yeah. Increase competition. So it'll actually lower costs for consumers. Maybe like paying taxes that way. Right. I'm down for that. You've got improved financial inclusion, which, you know, makes it easier for individuals and business to access banking services. Yeah, but at the at the sacrifice of their financial autonomy. Correct. So and that's then, the that's the And then the, the other pro, right, is enhanced security, which they're spinning that narrative. But then <laughs> to the contrary of that, right, it's 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 less privacy. It's less control and autonomy. It's also, the challenge of how do you weave the interoperability of the way things are and the way they're trying to move things over. And that could be a very big challenge given the complexity of already the way the payments industry is set up, potential impact on you know traditional payment methods, the cost of it. So there's there's a lot there's there's pros and cons, right? But I think the biggest concern, at least I would just speak for myself, would be that. Yeah, I just, if, if the, I mean, look at what China's doing. Essentially, if you, social score, social score if you yeah. don't do something according to what a big daddy wants you to be doing it, well, CP, CCP just goes, boop, freeze on your account because we control all of your money digitally. There's nothing that is within your control or out of their control, mm-hmm. I guess. is So that, that, I guess those are some of my concerns, right? I'm all for, you know, overhauling an archaic and outdated and inefficient system. And whether that's Great. the financial system, whether that's our payment system it's or both. currency or, you know, you could go into all, I mean, that innovation is, is, is usually created out of necessity and needs for improving things. Yep. But at the same time, this is a big one. 
And with the way the government has been operating in certain capacities and seeing what they say and then watching how it plays out and what they're actually doing and that misalignment or those incongruencies, those are my only concerns because this one has obviously very big implications when it comes to your money, my money, right? Our money as a whole and how we can continue to leverage it to live the lives that we want, make the impacts that we want. And ultimately, you need autonomy to be able to... That's the beauty of capitalism and the beauty of the way our structure and society has been built. Are you interested in boosting your income by an extra $50,000 this year? If so, you're going to love what I've got in store for you. I am beyond excited to officially announce an incredible opportunity to join me in my exclusive mastermind, which will include myself and 25 other hand-selected investors who are actively pursuing commercial real estate in 2024 and want to be held accountable to making sure they buy their first or their next commercial real estate investment property that will net them a minimum of $50,000 a year. This mastermind group will not only teach you how to do that, how to find, how to analyze, how to structure and buy these types of commercial real estate investment properties, but you'll also have an opportunity to be a part of an intimate group of high achievers that are going to take your network and your resources to a whole nother level. But here's the catch. Like I mentioned before, this is exclusive. We're only selecting 25 ambitious individuals for our founding members group who are serious and ready to take that next step in their commercial real estate investing journey. So if you are ready to increase your passive income by at least $50,000 in the next year with commercial real estate investing, then this is your moment. These spaces are gonna fill up fast And trust me, this is the one and only time to be a founding member, which comes with some pretty special benefits. So head over to myfirst50k.com and submit your application now. Again, that's myfirst50k.com. You can head over there, check out the program, see everything that it entails, submit your application to join, and I can't wait to connect with you soon. And the only reason people use credit cards, I would, I would argue, uh, or people that use them, I think, for the right ways is, A, it's not your money, so it's safer. And B, you get rewarded for using other people's money. Yep. And you can then pay off other people's money at a 0% interest rate. It's like an infinite 0% loan, um, as long as you pay it off before your due date. So I think that's the draw on credit cards. You're rewarded. Um, you know, I don't know if people are going to bite on the safety on the, you know, the speed, obviously, I really think it's going to get used for taxes. I think that's a great use for it. I think it'll be used to settle large sums of money and maybe save on uh, wire fees. Um, but we have ACH. ACH is free automatic clearinghouse. And I think like 99% of financial institutions are in the automatic clearinghouse. So we already have a free way to, to wire funds automatically. Um, it's just they still, the, the archaic institutions still require, oh, we can't take it via ACH. We have to take it via wire. Well, that's to derive a fee. It's the same damn thing. And in fact, ACH is, I would say, quicker and more secure because it's automatic. It doesn't have to settle at a certain time. It doesn't have to be all this paperwork. It's just done. So in my opinion, um, I'm not super excited about it, but I want to see where it goes. And I think that there is a positive spin to it, but it just can't be required to be used. So transitioning over to the real estate sector. Um, this last week, obviously, with the jobs report, National Association of Realtors came out with, you know, the, kind of their reaction to that report. Lawrence Yoon always does kind of his, 
reflection on, you know, what's been going on and how do they think it's going to tie into the single family real estate market? Single family real estate market is still locked and loaded. Yeah. It's, it's good to go. I mean, more jobs means more potential home buyers. In March, 236,000 more Americans were working and earning income. That brings a one-year gain to 4.1 million and 3.2 million more jobs compared to the pre-pandemic employment peak in February of 2020. So right now, now, of course, you know, with where interest rates are at, you know, a lot of people got priced out at seven. But now as we're starting to see interest rates start chopping six, back down a little six, bit, we're at six and a half right now. I think the 30-year fix last week was down to 6.28, something along those lines. Three is what I saw. Yeah. So you're still seeing a healthy level of demand for single family real estate. Now, the volume and the velocity of which houses are trading is you know, a lot less than it was year over year for mm -hmm. obvious reasons. But you're also seeing, I mean, many homeowners, right, including a big chunk of baby boomers who locked in record low mortgage rates in recent years, they're not in a rush to sell. So inventory, I think, jumped up 0.2%. 20 basis points week over this, week, yeah. This week, yep. um, which is still 50% uh, lower than the, the pre-pandemic high so we're definitely still seeing a healthy level of inventory and limited supply in ratio to the demand that is out there being much stronger than what is actually available. But it was interesting. As a result, the value of household real estate right now that is being kept, right? And that inventory that is off market, that equity is a record $31 trillion right now. Holy cow. That's insane. So it just shows that you know, the, the, the concerns about a recession, the concerns about a, you know, um, falling out, the bottom is going to crash. It's just not there. No. And it's not for the stock market either. Cause GDP is trending, like I said, towards two to 2.1% for quarter one. It's just not, it's kind of, we're done pretty much. Uh, we're at the tail end of the cycle. Now there is a potential crisis looming in commercial real estate. Mm. Now that is going to take some time to play out. And I'll get you guys some data here in a second. We've been hearing certain people talk about a blow-off top in commercial real estate. And if you're not familiar with that, that basically just refers to a rapid and unsustainable increase in property values, which we saw in many sectors of commercial real estate over the last couple of years, followed by a sudden and steep decline of demand. Called a melt-up. Melt-up. In the stock market. Exactly. And so this type of market phenomenon typically occurs when there is excessive speculation and optimism amongst investors leading to a bubble in property values. Well, what did we see in multifamily? What did we see in really almost every asset class during the pandemic when dollars were trying to find a home and generally, right, when you got inflation doing what it was doing, interest rates were where they are at. Real estate was a great vehicle and home for a lot of that equity to, to park in. Now, the problem is a lot of people were bad at underwriting, were not good operators, mm. and ultimately didn't read their loan covenants and think about what if, God forbid, this blue sky and all the numbers that we're putting in our pro forma and these assumptions actually flip yeah. and it becomes a little bit worse or maybe it becomes a 7 or 8% interest rate like we're seeing today in some commercial product loans. 
and the loan to value and some of the loan covenants that they require for servicing your loan are what we're now seeing today. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people didn't really think about that. And so to give you an idea, there was a couple reports that came out recently. Um, the report found nearly 1.5 trillion in debt is coming due by the end of 2025 and that maturities will climb for the next four years at their peak in 2027. This is so we're going to see a lot of commercial real estate somewhat be rocky over the next three to four years. And in 2027, they're speculating that peak with 550 billion and loans coming due in the sector. I'll give you an example of one that just recently happened. So Lender Arbor Realty Trust um, just foreclosed on a quartet of low-income multifamily properties in Houston valued at $230 million. It was a 3,200-unit portfolio. And many people aren't thinking, right, multifamily is at risk. There's a lot of people who syndicated and got into multifamily real estate that had no business doing it over the last few years. And a lot of that is tied into that 1.5 trillion in debt that will be coming due by the end of 2025. So that being said, 3,200 unit portfolio all located within Houston's outer loop were purchased um, between August, 2021 and April of 2022. That's $230 million in less than a year purchased. There's a lot more groups that did just that and then some. The building's owner didn't have them for very long and Arbor initiated the foreclosure on March 13th after they defaulted on their mortgage payments. A big part of that was because they had an arm that reset to where the interest rates were at today, drastically putting them in the red and obviously leading to what led to an ultimate foreclosure. They didn't just take the option to transfer the deed? That I don't know. I didn't. You know what I'm talking about? Where you can normally in deals that big, they'll have like a what is it called? It's, like a, deed a, in, it's, it's a deed in lieu. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Deed in lieu it costs of foreclosure like a, costs like three or four hundred bucks, and you avoid a foreclosure on your credit. So, so it depends on if the bank was really willing to do that or not. Huh. Who knows what was going on behind the scenes? But some more data to to get back to at least kind of forecasting what's coming out. So the Dodge Momentum Index, they call it the DMI. Um, and this is issued by Dodge Construction Network. Uh, that report just came out this month and it slipped 8.6% in March to 183 from the revised February reading of 201. In March, the commercial component of the DMI fell 6.6% and the institutional component decreased in 12.9%. So I had to do a little bit more digging on this because even myself, I was like, what is this Dodge Moment, this DMI, this Dodge Momentum Index? And it's basically, it's a monthly economic indicator that is issued by this organization, data and, Dodge Data and Analytics, a subsidiary of their large uh, construction network. Mm. And the DMI is designed to provide insight into the health of commercial and institutional construction markets all across the US. And so basically the DMI is divided into these two components. You heard the commercial component and the institutional component. The commercial component tracks planning applications for projects such as office buildings, hotels, retail space, multifamily, right? Those types of commercial component projects. And then you have the institutional component projects, which are things like hospitals, schools, 
government buildings, things along those lines. And so the DMI is considered to be a leading indicator of construction spending and activity as it provides insights into future construction activity by basically tracking the number of projects in the planning stages. So that kind of gives us a little bit of forecast and a forward-looking uh, set of data. Yeah. How are we feeling about this? Yeah. And a rising DMI indicates an increase in construction activity, right? Things are good. Things are booming. Things are strong, which they were for a very significant portion of the last few years, while a declining DMI indicates, obviously, that things are starting to slow down. And so we see economists and analysts, a lot of industry professionals now using this as a key indicator of what the future, this crystal ball might look like on the commercial sector. And so the fact that we're seeing some pullbacks now, this index suggests that, you know, yes, there was a solid pickup in commercial real estate construction over the last few years and really kind of now starting to peak out in early 2023, but a slowdown towards the end of 2023 and into 2024 basically shows that things might start tightening up a little bit. So that's, you know, you're looking at the commercial debt markets and then you're looking at, right, the commercial productivity markets around what product is coming online. And those are all tightening, getting a little bit smaller, even shrinking in certain capacities. So it's very interesting to see what might be coming down the pipeline in commercial real estate because there will be some great opportunities. Right now, you know, a lot of people are saying commercial real estate as a whole is being impacted and on the downturn. I would like to say that I don't agree with that. I think there are a lot of asset uh, classes within the commercial sector that are doing actually really well right now. And you have ones like, you know, office and, you know, some of the other sectors that are starting to slow down a little bit. Um, hospitality is one of them that are, you know, beginning to tighten up a little bit. Office is really the largest one though that is overshadowing a lot of the commercial market. Old, 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 60, 70 plus year old buildings that are, I think I was talking to you about this earlier. They're like A-class, super massive buildings that just are not, they were designed to be office space. They have no other forward looking function other than there's an elevator and it goes up to big floors with a few office and cubicles. It, I mean, they're really designed. Yeah, and a lot of people are trying to find ways of making sense for repurposing a lot of these because a lot of this... Hotels when, and uh, they're going to have to be like I mean, fancy lofts and apartments. San Francisco's mayor, you got, you know, many other big cities. Seattle's one of them. Portland's one of them that are petitioning and introducing legislation right now to convert empty downtown offices into affordable housing or just housing in general. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. But, you know, most of the commercial real estate sectors are fine right now, just to kind of put, you know, a period on that statement. Of the $11.1 trillion invested in commercial real estate since the year 2000, and this is according to um, the BEA, about 12% of that was in offices and 4% in malls. And... That's, let's see, about $270 billion in commercial real estate loans held by banks will come due in 2023 with roughly 80%. So that's nearly a third of that are on office properties. So that's just something to pay attention to. 
because we got the vacancy problem, right? And then obviously you got a massive amount of decreased demand for that particular sector of product. So that's, I mean, you're talking about a third, $80 billion worth of real estate. And that's just the debt on it. That's not, you know, the, the full pie there of equity and debt. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty big gap to fill. So it's going to be interesting to see what types of opportunities come out of that because a lot of those are going to be selling for cents on the dollar. And somebody's going to have to eat the loss. Yes. Uh, and then those companies and ideally, might you, get absorbed. You know who that's going to be? The it, investors that put their money Investors in yeah. and it's going to be small banks. LPs. It's going to be your LPs and it's going to be small regional banks that, you know. Got out ahead of their skis. Yeah. yeah that's unfortunate. Ideally. So it's going to be really interesting to see how that all plays out. But overall, I'm very bullish on commercial real estate as a whole and in the right asset classes with the right operators. I think this is the most important thing. People are going, oh, syndications, you know, are bad now. No, they're not. Just like the stock market is not, not wasn't bad the last six months. It's more so you as an investor need to do your due diligence on who the team is, who are you giving your money to, what is their track record, have they done a deal full circle and return capital, do they actually understand the market, are they the ones, if they are, operating the asset, have experience in operating that asset class. There's a couple people I know that are well-to-do, well-off, and high net worth individuals that got into asset classes in commercial real estate. Two of them just handed the keys back. Mm. One of them is getting foreclosed on. And it's because they decided to operate the asset instead of hiring an asset manager and or operator that really excels and has expertise in that space. So just because somebody has money or has access to a deal or has the ability to put it all together doesn't mean they deserve your money. Have they earned the right with their track record, with how they're doing their due diligence, with how they're doing their underwriting, with how they've assembled the right team to get your money? And I think that is tried and true for whether it's a financial advisor you're giving your money to, whether it's a real estate syndicator, whether it's just a deal you want to do on your own, making sure that you're really crossing your T's, dotting your I's now more than ever, because if and when the market does shift like it did, you just got to be that much more diligent around, you know, tightening things up and running it that much better and making sure that there's no room for error, you're coming out whole and coming out ahead versus a lot of the people right now are just throwing their their arms up and ultimately giving up on a lot of these opportunities. So I think good time to get into good deals with the right operators and also a lot of opportunity that's going to be coming down the pipeline. That being said, any final thoughts before we wrap up and close out today's episode? No, I think that... Um... I got a bunch of uh, people from last week to follow up with. I'll be following up with all those uh, followers that sent in the x-rays. Um, happy to reach out to me on uh, Twitter at Sacktown Assassin or on Instagram at rbreedwell. Ask me some questions. Um, if they're specific to you, happy to answer them. Um, but yeah, invest your money so you can make money. Don't, get, don't sit on the sidelines and let people boohoo and talk about the things that don't happen or, or might happen. That's where... That's when the real money is being made. Yep. So don't forget to subscribe. Leave a review if you enjoyed today's episode. Text X-Ray to 844-447-1555 to connect with Ryan and his team. You want to get on my deals list, text the word deals 
to 844-447-1555. Same phone number. That being said, don't forget to check out millionairemindcast.com, all the great stuff that we have in the store and on the website for you guys. Until next week's episode, keep investing in yourself and your wealth on your March to a million and beyond. We'll see you guys next week. Cheers. Well, that wraps up this week's episode of Money Moves. Be sure to tune in next week for more news and updates. And if you got some value from today's show, all we ask is that you take two minutes and leave a review in iTunes, where by doing so, you're going to get entered into win a $100 gift card. Also, don't forget to take advantage of Ryan's free financial x-ray on your investment portfolio. And to do so, all you have to do is text the word x-ray to 844-447-1555. What we have found by offering this out is most people have no idea what they're being charged from a fee perspective, or really in most cases, overcharged, and whether or not their current investment and financial plan is actually aligned with what they're trying to accomplish. And this is something that Ryan and his amazing team do for all of our listeners for free. So be sure to take them up on that. Again, that's x-ray, one word, 844-447-1555. Also, if you're an accredited investor and you're not on my deals list, be sure to text the word deals to 844-447-1555 to be notified of the private investment offerings my team and I put out and last Don't forget to check out all the amazing products and resources that we offer to our Millionaire Mindcast family at MillionaireMindcast.com. Whether that's one-on-one coaching with me, mastermind events, calculators, the Rich Life Planner for those looking to take their goal setting and productivity to the next level, we've got all kinds of great and valuable tools available at MillionaireMindcast.com. With that being said, that's all for this week. Until next week's episode, keep investing in yourself and your wealth on your march to a million and beyond. Cheers, my friends.